Welcome to the Nutrition-ish Podcast, the place for all things nutrition and mindfulness. We are passionate about guiding you to make peace with food and empower your body and brain. I'm one of your hosts, Allie Hobson. I'm an NTP, Nutritional Therapy Practitioner in San Diego. I work with individuals to assess personal nutritional deficiencies and imbalances by addressing the root cause of any health issue. In my private practice, I focus on women's hormones, gut health, and thyroid dysfunction. Let's meet my co-host. I'm Chelsea Gross, a certified transformational nutrition coach based in Los Angeles. I work one-on-one with women who are ready to break free from dieting, make peace with food, and create a life they love filled with energy, self-love, and freedom from rules and obsession. I'm also the creator of the ebook, Break Free from Disordered Eating. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is intended to be informative and entertaining and should not replace medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. We are so excited you're here. Let's get to the episode. You're listening to episode 28 of the Nutrition-ish podcast. (laughs) We're actually laughing in real time. (laughs) I just, we kept talking about stuff. I'm like, wait, maybe we should start recording. Wait, maybe I should say this on the podcast. (laughs) Well, I'm just laughing because I just watched Allie pick up Stella, her pug, and like, <laughs> like, it, like she was nothing and put her on the couch. Well, she's lost a few pounds, and she wasn't overweight to begin with, but pugs are just so susceptible to weight because they're just, she's an eater, you know? But ever since I started making her own food, she dropped like maybe two or three pounds, so she's Ooh. maybe weighing in at like eight, 17, 18 pounds now, <laughs> but she stopped Aww. snoring like completely. I like don't even hear her. It is crazy. Are you serious? Yeah. I know that, I mean, the same thing happens with humans. If you've ever had, like, an overweight male that you work with, I mean, obviously you're not working with them and then sleeping next to them. But like, I was I mean, following. Like, you my dad, me. for example, I feel like, when yeah. he did, when he kind of started running a little bit more and eating a little healthier, my mom was like, oh, my God, world of a difference. You know? So it's it's true. So she's Right. But, she's you're, doing, but she's 10, right? She's 11. Okay, and hasn't she snored her entire life? Entire, well, this is true. So aren't you like, oh my gosh, I wish I had just done this 10 years ago. Yeah, and it's not like she was always (laughs) overweight, but I had always fed her like, you know, packaged, you know, food, even though it was like grain-free and healthy, but it could be too that she's like maybe sensitive to whatever ingredient in there. She's not as like congested, so it's a dream come true, really. Really, it is because you have a whole sleep routine to avoid hearing her, you know, yeah. super loud snoring. Exactly. <laughs> wow. So this is life-changing for you and your husband. Life-changing. Everything. Yeah. But you what I was going to... get some good sleep in before the baby's born. Oh, sleep is so hard right now, let me tell you. I mean, not complaining because it's it's not really that bad, but I'm just... If you're... I usually sleep on my stomach. I sleep really? on my stomach face down with one arm under the pillow and when you're pregnant, they advise you, obviously, not to do that. And you can't also sleep on your back. So you have to sleep on your side. And I'm not a side sleeper. And specifically, they suggest sleeping on your left side because it gets better blood flow and better digestion and nutrients to the baby while you sleep. So not only do I usually face the other direction, I've like tried to <laughs> switch directions and sleep on my side. Mm-hmm. And I have like a body pillow that kind of works. And then I've like folded it in half to see if it like is better. And then there's all these, like, other pregnancy pillows you can buy. There's, like, a U-shape and, like, a C-shape. And people are like, oh, my God, get this one, get this one. And the one that people mostly, it seems to be recommending, um, 
I went to go to the store to look at it because they like had it at Bye Bye Baby. So I like stopped by and I was like, I got to check this out before I actually order it. It is so big. It would literally take up the entire bed. <laughs> I was like, there's no way. Like, I mean, my husband's fantastic and very understanding. Like, I can't do this to him. He already sleeps with a dog in the bed. Yeah. <laughs> like, this Aww. is too much. So I'm just like, you know, kind of trying to like maneuver pillows. I might, I probably will order it, like end up ordering a different smaller one. But my hips like kill. It like wakes me up because I'm not used to sleeping like with my legs stacked one on top of the other. And for whatever reason, my hips like ache in the middle of the night. Mm. And so I basically just like, I'm like a tater tot or what, what is it? Yeah. Or a pancake. That'd be a better reference. <laughs> like, I don't flip know. I'm, confused. Flip. <laughs> I'm just like flipping on every side, like every few hours <laughs> trying to the like get cake. comfortable. Flip Jack. <laughs> exactly. And I'm not even that big. Wow. So I can only imagine in a few months from now. <laughs> but I feel like, I wonder if sleeping the way you're describing you used to contributed to your back pain. Oh, for sure. For sure. Just having like one leg up in f- front of the other it throws off your alignment. Oh, yeah. When I started sleeping with a body pillow, because I still was kind of facing more down, but a little bit to the side. But when I started uh-huh. sleeping with a body pillow to straighten out my back a little bit, it like made a huge difference. Yeah. Well, I'm thrilled to hear this because I sleep on my left side. Oh, my f- I mean, I so think lucky. in the middle of the night I roll to both sides, but... I knew this about the left side being a little bit more beneficial, especially for people that have any sort of digestive issues post-meal, because it helps, yeah, I think, like, relax your your system and hmm. relieve well, any so kind you're... of air gas. <laughs> you're, maybe your ascending colon is on the right-hand side, your mm-hmm. descending colon is on the left-hand side, which is where, you know, you're, like sigmoid colon where basically everything ends of the road is on the left hand side so maybe by having that down it's like gravity I don't know I'm trying to make sense of it I don't know I'm sure there's a scientific reason yeah but fascinating yeah and actually too if anyone ever has like heartburn or indigestion or GERD or anything like that after eating you should be careful you're not laying on your right side on the couch after food or something Hmm. Lay on your left and see if that alleviates things. Again, don't know the total science behind it. And actually, I think this is something I heard on Dr. Oz before I even went back to school to study nutrition about laying on your left-hand side. And it's something that I've kept with me and has helped. Hmm. Sometimes I've learned, at least my journey where I am now with baby is like, just sometimes don't ask too many questions. Oh, yeah. Just, just do either what you've heard is beneficial and maybe give it a quick a quick search and be like, all right, good, we're done. Shut it down. Because <laughs> the that mind goes crazy. A big lesson for you. It is. It's been... You're totally an over-researcher. I know. I know. But I'm, I'm sure it's all heightened with having a baby, so who am I to say? Well, yeah, as I was just telling you that I have, like, mold growing in my guest bedroom, like, that was something that I probably... And that's fun. That's fun. Ugh, wouldn't be, like, as, like, freaking out about, but... And it's yeah. not a lot. I just noticed it when I was moving out the furniture, but I had someone out here yesterday to test it to see if it is really a big issue or I just need to, like, okay, wipe it down, <laughs> clear the baseboards out, or if it's, like, in the wall. Because mold can be, yeah, mold can be a no-joke situation, so... I'm kind of like on top of all of the things right now but that's also going to be like his nursery so I just I need to Super get it taken stressful. care of but yeah yeah well I'm glad you are getting the ball rolling on taking care of that now because imagine finding it 
when the baby's already in there, when you've had the baby, and that would be way more stressful. So at least thinking of it that way, that you'll get it taken care of. But mold is a huge issue right now. It's such a big problem for so many people, and I think it totally goes hand-in-hand with people who have any sort of autoimmunity or chronic illness or mystery symptoms, Mm -hmm. too. I I think a lot um... of people have a hard time... There's some condition where, and I think it affects maybe even more than half of the population, that can't detoxify mold. Is there something, and again, I need to look more into it. I know this is something that Sean Minar talked about, who, hmm. she's like a keto podcast, and she had a whole, she has a few different autoimmune conditions, and mold was a really big issue for her. She lives, I think, in Denver, where I think it's more prominent to get mold um in your home because of water damage or something so i'll have to so look into it and i'll like see if i can i, I guess know. they have flooding maybe yeah and Sorry. i live like I don't know the specifics <laughs> but there's something i'll see if i can find yeah. it there's some specific condition that she went through a really particular protocol for to be able to detoxify from mold toxicity hmm I remember, well, I live, I mean, I live, like, literally right by the beach, too. So anything here is, like, I have, like, metal, like, lanterns and things that hang outside on our patios. And it's, like, within, you know, a few months, there's, like, rust on it. And it's, you know, the same idea as, like, letting opportunistic bacteria and mold and stuff grow. It's just, depending on your climate, can be super, you know, problematic. But mm-hmm. um, also Bulletproof Guy, um, Dave, Dave Asprey. Asprey. Yeah, he had a whole, his, kind of, I think, how he got into, that bulletproof man, how he got into, like, the health space, I think, was because of his toxic mold that he had um, diagnosed and then realized he also had um, thyroid, I think he had Hashimoto's, he says that he's, you know, been in remission for however long, whatever, he does a lot of biohacking things, mm-hmm. but his whole thing started with mold as well. Yeah. It's more research to be done. I, Again, in the black <sighs> hole, literally, of like mold and black mold, I was like, okay, I know enough to know what this looks like. I'm going to call this like lovely, jolly old man who came out within a few hours and took care of it. I find out what the results are today. He makes recommendations of if it's necessary to do whatever, and then I move on with my life. I was but like, he was... He was able to see just from looking at it that it was, in fact, black mold, and now they're just doing further testing? Well, he said that. Because you can see, so like in one area, it's more in the wall, but he doesn't think that there's mold in the wall. It could just be a little bit of moisture, which because it's right next to the shower. So it's kind mm-hmm. of seems obvious. Um, but in this other space, in the other room, he said that because it lifted off the wall with a swab, so they do like swab testing. He said because it lifted off the wall so easily that it probably is likely some type of mold, but it depends on what to do about it because if it's just on the baseboard but not in the wall or there's no water in the wall, just replace the baseboard, get some good anti-microbial you know, microbial kind of stuff, clean it off, and you're good. If it's in mm-hmm. the wall and there's moisture in the wall, then that's a lot different. So I don't know what I need to do just yet. Mm, but this is giving me a panic attack. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I have it too. I feel a lot less stressed out about the fact that I'm doing something about it. Totally. So there's that. Well, I'd like to be. I I, need I will to keep do you too. updated on what happens. Great. Yeah. Can't wait. Oh man. Well, I have had an interesting 36 hours myself. I was texting Allie yesterday like a million times because 
I woke up yesterday feeling so incredibly nauseous and it has not extreme it has not completely lifted since. So yesterday when we're recording this was Wednesday, which would be about a week ago from when you guys hear this. Um, I'm currently taking something right now for a co-infection I have, I have of Lyme called Babesia. And Babesia is a single cell parasite, so it's a it's in the Lyme family. It's a co-infection. Um, actually, Babesia is a cousin to malaria, and it's a single cell parasite. So I'm on a non-natural anti-parasite, which was a bit of a internal struggle for me wanting to not take something like that just because of the possible detrimental effects as far as side effects and damage it may do on my gut. But ultimately I decided, you know, hands up in the air. I don't really know what else to do at this point. And I, my doctor believes that Babesia is a little bit easier to get rid of than Lyme and not necessarily get rid of, but bring enough down into remission. Um, then Bartonella, which is another co-infection I have, and Lyme. So long story short, I'm taking this drug, um, which this is a whole long story, but it was far too expensive to get in the States, so I had to get it from an online pharmacy in Canada, and then it's shipped from Singapore, and it's like a generic of a generic. It's just, it's almost laughable, the extremes I went to to get this thing. <laughs> But I've been doing so far so good. I'm pretty sure I've been on it a little over two months and I've been okay. But it's something that is prescribed for people with traveler's diarrhea. So it's super strong. I was supposed to be on it for six months. So I think eventually my body now is kind of catching up to it. So I don't know if I'm having some sort of die-off reaction or it's just a late side effect. But... Yeah, I've been feeling so nauseous and it doesn't seem like it's food poisoning because I didn't get sick. I've just felt so nauseous constantly. I think it's die off and I think it's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. Last week I was feeling fluish off and on and I was achy like in my head, in my neck, in my shoulders, even in my mouth. It was so wild. And I think yeah, I think now it's just another reaction. So hopefully some of the Babesia <laughs> is coming out. But I don't know. I was, it's been horrible. Did they ever recommend taking um, Rifaximin for That's the SIBO drug, right? Yeah, but it basically... So I learned... I listened to... Um, many of you probably follow her as well, but Christina Rice. Um, she has a podcast Duh. as well. <laughs> Um, And I hadn't listened to her individual podcast before. um, Mm -hmm. And one of my clients told me that that she had a really good episode on probiotics. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I'd love to listen to it. And I kind of just forgot that she had her own for whatever reason. I didn't have it on my list. And so it was with Kieran. I think his name is Kieran Krishnan. And he's actually done some work also with um, the Wise Traditions podcast on glyphosate and stuff. But he talked all about probiotics. It was if he's a like microbial microbiologist or something it was such a good episode I literally Mm. was like I know a lot about probiotics I learned a lot from this episode it was super cool this interview but he had talked about just happened to be talking about SIBO stuff and he was talking about Rifaxim and how when it first came out like it came out I forget when he said maybe like 20 years ago and it was used for um, traveler's diarrhea and it used Mm -hmm. to be super super cheap you could get it for like 10 20 bucks and now it's like a thousand dollars, and but basically oh, yeah. it's like the most basic antibiotic because it stays in your system. But they used it for traveler's diarrhea. So, anyways, and I didn't know. I thought of that. Yeah, I, I did take that. Um, gosh, maybe in the beginning of this year, 
just as one more, you know, attempt at whacking out SIBO, if that. But again, we won't get into this. We got to get into questions. We just said Our we topic. were going to stick to 10, 15 minutes, and it's about, it's, it's four seconds from 15 minutes. Um, my doctor's belief, and this is a whole long thing, and we will not go down this rabbit hole, but my doctor's belief is that the Lyme and the Bartonella and all this stuff that's the root of my gut issues and SIBO may be something that I'm dealing with, but treating SIBO will not be effective because I have a far deeper underlying issue. And I see this now in so many different people. So, um, especially yeah, too, if you've done several rounds of treating SIBO, whether it is with something like the antibiotic or more natural and it's not effective, it's like, look for something deeper, but we will save that for another episode. But yes, I did mm-hmm. try that. And one of the reasons I felt okay taking that was because I believe it's non- uh, it's non-systemic. What it would be called when it would it would it would stay more in your gut, the antibiotic versus like right. treating your whole system. So it's not as bad for wiping out everything. It's more, I, I guess, think. targeted or I targeted. Don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um, if I sound a little off, that's why, because I'm like woozy and dizzy. But <laughs> don't pass out on me. I need you. I've got my trusted practitioner Allie here, <laughs> who is my right hand gal, yeah. keeping me alive. I'll read you the question. I'll read the questions today. Oh, great. Okay, let's get started. We have an exciting new sponsor for the podcast. This company happens to be one of my personal favorites, and not just because of their products. Kelly and Kyle of Wildway are two of the nicest people and business owners. I first came across Wildway when I started cutting grains out of my diet and found their grain free granola at Whole Foods. They definitely had me sold with the vanilla bean espresso flavor. I mean, come on. All of their ingredients are grain, wheat, and gluten-free. They are non-GMO, sweetener-free, no added oils, vegan, and no added extracts. Some of their other products include my go-to travel packs of grain-free hot cereal, personal fan of the cinnamon roll flavor, and all you need to do is add hot water. Super convenient for on the go. They also have some fantastic smoothie starter packs that include a protein, even things like L-glutamine and collagen peptides, plus some probiotics. As our new sponsor, Wildway is offering our listeners 15% off anything you order on their website using the code NutritionIsh, all one word, no spaces. So head on over to wildwayoflife.com to get your new favorite snacks and be sure to follow them on Instagram at wildwayoflife. So first question, this comes from Beverly. She says, hey ladies, I just started listening to your podcast and even in just a few episodes, I have learned so much and look forward to getting in the car and listening to you. I've always been interested in health and nutrition and got my degree in health and fitness with a concentration in exercise science. Thank you, Beverly. We love to hear that. Um, So she says, though this was about 15 years ago and clearly a lot has changed since then. That's kind of a precursor to this um, question in bio. Um, She says, I work out with a mix of veggies. Oh, wait, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, really? How does one do that? That's fantastic. She's like, I'm on the treadmill and I'm eating carrots. (laughs) I was like, literally, I love you. Um, Okay. She says, I work out with a mix of cardio and weights five to six times a week for about 45 minutes. This is where I know that we're like soul sisters. She says, if I could survive off of these three things, I would. Veggies, chocolate, and wine. Literally, me too. That is you. (laughs) That is me. While on the treadmill. No. Um, (laughs) Though after three kids in my late 30s, I feel like I am working out more and more to be able to eat and drink what I want, but not always because I love doing it. This is a little bit about me. Here are my questions, and I apologize if you have addressed them in the previous podcast and I haven't listened to it yet. 
Um, she says, first question. Um, okay, yeah, I'm going to just kind of skip. She says she's switched to a new deodorant and learned some other things from us. So um, uh, She's not taking any supplements or medication. She says, I know one my one Diet Coke that I look forward to every day is not good for me, yet I continue to consume it. Can you please tell me the science behind why the artificial sweetener is bad for your gut? I have also heard that diet drinks can actually make you gain weight. Is that true? Yes. So artificial sweeteners is a topic that I am very passionate about because I was an artificial sweetener queen. I talk about this a lot, how much I used to use Splenda, which we'll talk more about is probably that and aspartame, which is what is in Diet Coke, is one of the most detrimental artificial sweeteners. And I was consuming probably like four or five packets at least a day. I think I put two in my coffee, two in my oatmeal. I would sprinkle it on cottage cheese. This was back in my extreme dieting restriction, calorie obsessed phase. And then I also did a lot of like Diet Coke, Coke Zero, Crystal Light. It gives me you know, the shivers to think of how much I'm, I'm sure I'm still paying for um, a lot of those things that I was having all the time. In addition to the fact that the gut is where most of my health symptoms have stemmed from. And so I definitely believe there's a huge correlation here. So just to give you an overview on artificial sweeteners, um, they're actually classified as a neurotoxin. They can be connected to things like headaches, dizziness, memory loss, fatigue, brain fog, and killing brain cells. So that's legitimate. That's no joke. There's real dangers um, aside from the neurotoxicity. Uh, This is actually a quote that I'm going to read. Research has shown that artificial sweetener, that the artificial sweetener, acylfolame potassium, very common in many diet food drinks, can trigger an insulin release much like real sugar can, leading to cravings and stalling fat loss. In fact, your insulin shoots up as soon as you taste the artificial sweetener saccharin, which I believe is what is in sweet and low. It thinks food is coming. So studies actually show that eating sweet substances without calories just sets you up to overeat and gain weight. So it's interesting because I would say the number one reason that people use artificial sweeteners is to avoid weight gain because they're trying to avoid calories. And as we know, we won't go down the rabbit hole of, but all calories are not created equal. And actually, in this case, it's doing more harm than good because artificial sweeteners do not contain calories. Your body doesn't recognize that. It's getting sweetness. Your brain is being lit up. You're eating something, but it's not carrying any calories or nutrition. So it's confusing your system. And like I just read in that quote, there's still an insulin response. So then you're damaging your blood sugar. You're probably becoming more susceptible to insulin resistance. And that can lead down you down the road to all sorts of health issues, including things like type 2 diabetes. So one of the greatest resources for this stuff that I love is JJ Virgin. She's a nutritionist. And she was one of the first people that I looked to when I started learning all about health. And she has a podcast. Um, she's also like a public speaker. She's she's really amazing, great wealth of knowledge. She has a few different books, but one of the books she has is called The Sugar Impact Diet. So what I love about this is that she really breaks down 
the whole thing that fat is bad for you, that it's all about calories in, calories out. Um, she talks a lot about hidden sugars, so all the places that they hide in the foods that we're consuming all the time, and how they have an impact on your body. So there's a lot of science, there's a lot of social proof, and then she guides you through how to safely taper off, so through levels of reduction, so kind of through different stages of how to reduce the sugar in your life. And she also talks a lot about the dangers of artificial sweeteners. So, um, she you know, also I has think products. Did you know that? Oh yeah, she's a version. Yeah, you yeah. like her too. Well, I didn't really know about her until one of my clients asked me to look at all of her supplements and stuff. And she takes her protein powder, fiber, and I think her like a multivitamin. And so I looked her up, and there were like a few things. If you're being super picky, that it's like okay, that's not like the ideal ingredient. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, her stuff was you know pretty good. But I had yeah, never she- heard of her before. Oh, yeah, she's awesome, and she's a little bit older, so I actually recommend her sometimes to some of my older clients because I feel like there's a lot of people in the health world that are far younger, like early 20s and so on. I think it's, I don't know, she's, I think, probably post-menopause at this point, and she's... (laughs) Not like us, because we're in our 30s, so we're more (laughs) Not that we're so... Yeah, but I mean, (laughs) I just think it can be nice if you're a woman, you know, 50s, 60s, or above, to have someone a little bit more relatable and I just think she's, I don't know, she's really cool. So I hope that wasn't offensive to anyone. You know what I'm saying? Um, but my real issue with artificial sweeteners is that they're so much sweeter than regular sugar. And like I talked about, they don't contain those calories or, there's, or, the, or that nutrition. And so your body becomes predisposed to crave more and more and more. I was eating so much Splenda um, because my body, and I believe Splenda is 300 times more sweet. Or is that Stevia? Well, Allie's going to talk more about Stevia. But all these things, they're far more sweeter than regular sugar. And so your body just continues to crave more and more sweet. Um, So that's kind of my number one issue. And then, yeah, they're definitely detrimental to the gut as well. Um, There was a 2018 study published in Inflammatory Bowel Disease. Uh, which also revealed that artificial sugar, sucralose, which that is actually what Splenda is, and maltodextrin, which is something that we see in a lot of different packaged foods, to be honest, even some health foods, and I've also seen them in supplements, intensifies mm-hmm. Protein gut- powders, muscle yeah. building powder, yeah. It's, it's in a lot of, it's in a lot of stuff. And then some of them, I feel like I've seen where it's like non-GMO maltodextrin. It's like, where they're like, oh, non, well, freaking Whole Foods. They're like, non-GMO canola oil. I'm like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't, but it tricks you to think it does. Uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry, go on. No, that's okay. Um, this article uh, had said, or this study had said that it, those two things intensify gut inflammation. Um, it was done, a study done in mice that carries Crohn's-like diseases. Specifically, the artificial sweetener increases the number of Protobacteria, microbacteria associated with E. coli, salmonella, and legionellus in mice who carried a Crohn's-like disease. So it also says, additionally, the ingestion of artificial sugar intensifies an enzyme in white blood cells, activity in individuals that have a form of inflammatory bowel disease. This study indicates that it may be practical to track this type of bacteria in patients uh, to adjust their diet. Okay, I'm just blabbing on about the study, but... (laughs) Um, essentially, yes, detrimental to the gut. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of artificial sweeteners hide in a lot of different things. So even things like toothpaste and mouthwash and children's chewable vitamins, cough syrups, gum is a really big one. I certainly used to chew like Trident and all these artificially 
sweetened gums like crazy, mm-hmm. especially when I was trying to lose weight. Do you have a healthy eat. gum? People ask me that a lot, and I was like, I, <sighs> I stopped chewing it because it was like tearing at my jaw and like causing TMJ. <laughs> I also think that it can cause a lot of gas and bloating for totally. people. So I don't recommend it even if it is like healthier, but I think there is yeah. some brand at Whole Foods that's like okay. But yeah. Um, yeah, and then all these different types of drinks. I used to drink um, Crystal Light, but there's so many different diet drinks out there and like no calorie waters and stuff like that. Salad dressings, um, frozen yogurt, uh, or ice cream. Actually, that's a big one. And we'll talk a little bit more about um, some sugar alcohols, but I know that everyone eats that like Halo Top ice cream. Mm-hmm. Allie, have you seen this? I've seen it. I haven't had it because I looked at the ingredients. So I was like, nope. It's essentially just like whipped whey, water, and sugar alcohols. Oh, yeah. And that. It's also dairy. So it's kind of like, mm. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, and then, yeah, I would say the five worst artificial sweeteners to avoid are aspartame, so that's found in things like Equal, NutraSweet, NatraTaste, and Sucralose, which is Stevia, or sorry, which is Splenda, um, Aslophame, which is found in, let's see, Equal, Sweet and Low, Sweet and Safe, and Saccharin. I love that, Sweet and Safe. Don't worry. <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> and then Xylitol and Cerbitol, so... We can talk a little bit more about sugar alcohols, but um, do you want to chat a little bit, Allie, about like stevia? And I know you're going to talk a little bit about monk fruit too, but I'm I'm interested to chat a little bit about stevia because you are the one who actually influenced me to take a break from stevia. Now I'm proud Mm -hmm. to say I'm off of it. (laughs) And um, stevia is so sweet that it was something, even because it's more natural, like it's derived from a whole plant source. It's definitely not in the same category as some of the things like Splenda, but I think... I think as far as you craving more and more sweet and maybe even having an insulin reaction, I think it's still somewhat in the same and I feel so much better without it. I've found fruit now is so much sweeter to me and just I'm not craving as much like paleo treats and that kind of stuff that I used to eat. So yeah. tell me what you think. Well, I came across looking into stevia just because it was, I mean, like really looking into it and reading some articles and research that I could find because it's such a common question. I think I every single day at work literally a patient says well what about stevia and I love giving an actual reason instead of just like no it's not that great um and it also it definitely depends on the quantity and how much you're using it and all that but um Sarah Ballantyne which we're going to link to um the paleo mom wrote a really really good article and it's titled the trouble with stevia so she talks a lot about why stevia is not um necessarily like a good you know replacement um so let me go. Where did I put my notes here? No oh, shoots. Um, hold up. And as you guys can tell, some of this stuff isn't just at the forefront of our brains. Allie and I do try to look into these kinds of questions and research for you. So that's kind of why sometimes we're referring to studies and referring to our notes. We just want to be able to always give you guys the best information. So we're just being real and trying to find stuff. (laughs) Yes. Um, Okay. So I thought I had written more, but I did keep it simple because a lot of the research is complicated. But um, this article that she wrote basically says that there's strong evidence that steviol glycosides, which is what is in stevia, act as an endocrine or can act as endocrine disruptors, and they strongly impact progesterone levels and receptor binding, which I was like, that's fascinating. 
So Mm, how that mechanism works, I don't entirely know. She goes into more details in her article, but for the sake of like keeping this pretty surface level, it can be, or or studies have showed that it can be more um, endocrine disrupting because of receptor binding and how hormones like have, I mean, a lot of different things in the body have like these receptors and bindings and they hold on to things or they gravitate towards certain things. They attach to proteins for processes and all that. So it could be somehow interrupting a natural process in the body that needs to happen. Um, And also my biggest thing is kind of what Chelsea was um, saying too is like I really look at like how is it impacting your blood sugar and even the function of your liver because the sweet taste will it stimulates your body to be like okay I'm gonna get this like huge dose of sugar and like your body is really really intuitive your brain does things obviously that you just have no idea. It's sending messages all the time that you're not even aware of. So if you know something is sweet, it's almost like you can taste it already before you even eat it. <laughs> like if you're looking at a giant cinnamon roll, like you know what that's going to taste like. You know that like sweet flavor that's going to rush into your body. But stevia is, I don't remember how many times sweeter, but I it is. Think it's, I think it's 300, 300. times sweeter. I think. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. Which is a lot. (laughs) So a little bit goes a really long way. And your body, if you've had it before, obviously, or even just because it looks like sugar, like you're expecting it to be sweet. And what what your body does with glucose is it does things like processes and, you know, is used for ATP energy. Your body uses glucose for like specific functions in the body. So your body like clears the glucose from your bloodstream. Insulin levels go up, but then your body's like, what? (laughs) Like it finds out that there's no glucose that actually came into your body. So adrenaline and cortisol production might go up to try and bring glucose back. But so when you don't give your body sugar, your liver has to basically pull out those stores of sugar that it's been storing in your body and give your body glucose that's like in its stores. So it's more work on your liver. It's confusing for your body and your brain chemistry. And with insulin and the way that that works, it's just your blood sugar is being impacted. So even though it's sugar-free, the main, I think, reason kind of for me between the gut disrupting, you know, component of it and maybe being hard on your intestinal lining is the blood sugar component because blood sugar is so important to kind of manage in terms of like every other thing that it could impact in your body. Um, but read Sarah Bar- Ballantyne's article if you want to know more um, what she says because she does go into kind of like the endocrine component of it, which I thought was super interesting. And then monk fruit is, it's basically from what I can research is the same idea. There's not a ton of studies that like say that there's so many negative impacts about it. It does appear now that maybe there's, maybe it's a little bit better Um, but I don't necessarily think that's true. I think it's just because it's a newer thing that people are using. There's just not enough evidence and there's not enough research done on it. But I mean, it does come from the monk fruit. It's been like extracted. It has no impact, but it's still the same idea of because it has no actual glucose, you're still dealing with that same blood sugar kind of, you know, disruption. So I know that even, um, like monk fruit is used in that primal, Primal Kitchen. Yeah, Primal Kitchen Collagen, which I do use. I don't use it every day. I use it once in a while. So I think it's kind of like, and the same thing with with Stevia. If it's in a few things that you consume, I don't think that's going to be detrimental to your health and you should completely avoid it at all costs. Would I say don't make a habit of it and use it sparingly? Yeah. Yeah. That's my personal opinion. So many protein, I would say 
every protein powder has either stevia or monk fruit or if they're low quality protein powders, which probably no one listening to this podcast I hope is consuming. <laughs> it's just like junk, junk, junk. But um, have some, yeah, they have some sort of these sweeteners in there and they're so sweet and mm-hmm. your body just gets adjusted to that and you want more and more and more sweetness and then things that are actually existing in nature sweet like sweet potatoes or squash or fruit no longer feel as satisfying to you or you feel like you have to add things to them or whatever mm-hmm. and i think it's important to give take a you know slow your roll a little bit if you can look at cuz maybe you're having a protein powder with stevia or monk fruit and then a lot of low carb bars like you know, I love like the Bulletproof Company, but a lot of those bars, I think they have sugar alcohols and maybe stevia and monk. They're just, they're doing a lot to avoid carbohydrates, which is fine. It's unfortunate because I don't believe that like a high carb way of eating is healthy, but I also don't think that subjecting yourself to artificial sweeteners or even some of these like safer, more natural sweeteners all the time at the expense of just like cutting down like 10 grams of sugar, 10 grams of carbs is necessary <clears throat> necessarily the way to go either. Yeah. So if you're having like bars or, you know, even like so delicious coconut um ice cream, like that has a like a zero sugar. If you're having like Halo Top ice cream, look at your day and how many times you're possibly consuming foods that have these things in there and just take a take a note of that and see if maybe you can cut back on some of those things and just start to have like real food that is sweet again and retrain your body like i've definitely it's taken me some time but now i'll have like berries i can have a chia seed pudding now without any like it's just a few berries in there and it tastes sweet to me like that's mm-hmm. enough where before yeah. i might have ha- had to add something i would have had to add stevia Um, and I used to make matcha with stevia and I couldn't imagine having it without. And it took me some time to feel okay without that in the morning. And now I think it tastes great and it tastes really good. Um, so I just think it's sad, like how far we'll go to avoid a little bit of sugar, a little bit of calories. And so we're having these artificial sweeteners and stuff that are detrimental. Like if you're having more of the things like Splenda that are actually neurotoxic, that's a huge, huge deal. Like something like Diet Coke, I don't think anyone, no, I don't, I don't even think of that something as like you should have sometime. Like I, I I think it's better to have a glass of wine than a Diet Coke. Right. Um, you know, again, like if you have it here and there, you're not going to die, but it could be making a, it's just one of those things where it's like, Why? Well, and when you think about the word neurotoxin, I mean neuro, it's neurological. You know, it's a toxin that's damaging, it's toxic to your neurological system. So the thing with like the Diet Cokes and all that is that it's literally changing your brain chemistry to get you addicted. Like the people in the food industry are very smart. I mean, they're scientists and all that. Like they know what to do to your brain to make you be like, I need this and crave things. So it's not your fault (laughs) at all. I feel like anybody who's a Coke drinker or a Diet Coke drinker is not just like, oh, yeah, I have Diet Coke once in a a while. I feel like most people Mm -hmm. are like, no, I have it every day or I have one a day, but it's small. And it's like this consistent pattern of addiction because it literally is changing your brain. Addiction has to do with a chemical imbalance in your brain most of the time. You know, I'm not a specialist in addiction, um, but I feel like that's kind of where research shows that this is stemming from. And so it's just, yeah, it's hard to quit as well. So 
It as is. Much it's as, like, like a drug, and you're you're yeah. going. You may feel a withdrawal, and it's so funny because yesterday, and even right now, as we're talking, when I actually growing up, when I felt nauseous, my my family would make Coke chips, so like regular Coke, and they would freeze it, and then we would eat that like with a spoon, like almost like a frozen ice kind of thing. I've never heard of this. <laughs> I don't think it's like a common thing. Like a Coke and, slushy. Kinda, yeah. They and make then, Coke Slurpees, which is terrifying. And then throughout my entire life, so up until I stopped drinking Diet Coke and stuff, which is when I went back to school, which was uh, f- four years ago, um, I when I would feel kind of sick or nauseous, I would get, I would actually send, we live like walking distance to a Shell gas station. <laughs> I would send Scott to go get me a Coke Zero. So it's interesting, yesterday I was like, that's kind of what I want. <laughs> I wasn't gonna go get it, but um, but yeah, but, like, it's what totally is the mechanism that would make you feel better? Well, like, I think what, that might have been nostalgic. Oh, but I think <laughs> having like a you know like a ginger ale, like something kind of fizzy to settle your yeah. stomach. Yeah. But anyways, all to say, I think I was certainly addicted to Diet Coke. I was drinking them definitely every day, every time I went out to dinner, and then Crystal Light. It's interesting, like when I lost a bunch of weight several years ago, like dieting really hard. I remember after dinner, I would just make myself a big glass of Crystal Light because it would it was sweet and I could just like fill my stomach up with that and it would get me t- to you know to bed without eating something after. Like how sad is that? Well, I was just thinking mentioning Diet Coke. I was like the fact that I used to drink, <clears throat> um, uh, what's it called? Jack and Coke and mm. oh, Jack and Diet and Coke in college mm-hmm. like makes me want to die. <laughs> like literally, like what? It's like every fraternity guy in my at my school drank Jack and Coke and slash me. Slash Allie. <laughs> oh my gosh, so funny. Oh, it was just a phase. Okay, well, um, really quickly though, I did want to touch on sugar alcohols. Oh, okay. And kind of their reaction in the gut. So um they are not well absorbed by the body. And a lot of people actually can have allergic reactions to sugar alcohols if you're sensitive to them, but they Any? definitely also have... Hmm? Well, sorry, keep going. I'm very, like, conversational today. I don't oh, know sorry. Why. And I'm like, but, see, the, but this is our nature. I, I sometimes, because I listen back to the episode, you guys, before um, Allie, Allie edits it, and then I listen back to it, and then whatever. So when I listen back, I'm like, sometimes I'm just, like, talking, 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 and you're like... Oh, so, and I'm like, uh uh-huh, yeah, like, (laughs) (laughs) let me say something. No, I was just going to say, whenever I, there used to be these bars that I remember eating a long time ago, maybe even back in high school. They still make them. I think they're, like, pure something. I don't know. Anyways, there's, like, 20 grams of sugar alcohols in them, but I wasn't, like, you know, thinking that it was a big deal because it would say, sugar alcohols 20, sugar zero. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, great. They, every time I ate them, they would make me so bloated. And totally. at that point, I was just like, I didn't really understand like what that was. I would like eat them before I would go for a run and like literally can't finish my run. <laughs> and finally, I put two and two together. But I was so young that I didn't really think about it. Um, but they were just like detrimental to my gut health. Oh, one million percent. So they can cause gastrointestinal side effects that include bloating, gas, cramping, and diarrhea. They actually can have a laxative effect. Um... And it's interesting, too, well, Allie, they're definitely not safe during pregnancy. Xylitol is not. So actually, a lot of sugar alcohols that you'll see are things like sorbitol, erythritol, xylitol, those OLs at the end. 
Um, and also they're not, they're actually life threatening to dogs. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy. Stella's eating um, a pack of two of gum. She survived, but. Wow. I'm glad she's okay. But yeah, I, speaking of so delicious coconut milk, I bought, they have like a sugar free one, which I shouldn't, this is where it goes back to just have the real thing. And this was like a year ago. So even of all the work I've done, I still ended up buying that one instead of the, I just wish, you know, it's just like, just have the real thing. But it, I think, had a sugar alcohol in it. And I'm not kidding. I was so bloated for, honestly, two days. I was in crampy, bloated pain. It was the worst. I will never do it again, ever. Like, what's the point? Save a little bit of sugar. Just eat real, like, I think honey, maple syrup, coconut sugar, fruit. Just, it's so silly. So... I just also wanted to read one of this last thing. So I'll include, um, there's a great article by Dr. Josh Axe about artificial sweeteners. And he says that research shows that artificial sweeteners don't satiate you the way real foods do. Instead, you end up feeling less satisfied and more prone to eating and drinking more, resulting in weight gain, in addition to potentially suffering dangerous side effects associated with artificial sweeteners. So it's just like, it's not worth it. Just have the real thing. My biggest suggestion if you're trying to get off of Diet Coke is switch it with, like, a like-for-like. Like. Try kombucha. Mm-hmm. Do, like, spindrift. I'm more a proponent of spindrift now, if you guys have tried that. that um, you po- I've only seen it at Trader Joe's, I think, but it doesn't have any natural they have it at flavors. Oh, they do? Okay, good. Mm-hmm. And Target. Really? They have it at Target? Yeah. What? I oh, haven't Target seen it with my own like eyes, people have told me. Um, but yes, the natural flavors, which are in yeah, LaCroix. LaCroix. So I Don't say recommend. it's kind of like LaCroix was like the first thing on the market where we were kind of like, well, if Melissa Hartwig drinks it, then it's fine. <laughs> At least that's what I thought. But then I was like, well, okay, Spindrift ingredients are way better. It's sweetened with like raspberry juice and lime. But try like a sparkling water. Try, you know, adding like fresh lemons to carbonated water. Mm-hmm. Just get in the habit of like, okay, I'll have the carbonation drink for, we didn't even talk about carbonation, you know, reducing stomach acid. That mm-hmm. is a huge, huge, another reason that Diet Coke in general, besides the fake sugar, the bicarbonate in there basically reduces all of your stomach acid. So not all of it, but just decreases it in general. So anyways, that's a another reason to not do it. But start out slow. Replace like for like, try kombucha, try spindrift, and just see if you can kind of like slowly wean yourself off of it. Yes. Okay, doke. Number two question. I have several several girlfriends who use over-the-counter water pills to help bloating and minimal weight gain. Are these safe and or effective, and what would be a better alternative? (laughs) Shaking my head a little bit. It's hard because we are in this health community now, and while Ali and I used to do a lot of these things that maybe we talk about, like like I said, I used to do all the artificial sweeteners, I sometimes forget there's so many people out there that are still like taking water pills and it's, you know, it's thought of as a perfectly fine thing. Um, do you want to start else? Do you want sure. me to? Okay, you go ahead. Um, so a good resource that I always kind of like to check if there's any information or if it comes up on a Google search, I'll kind of read that in addition to some, maybe some other things. But um, PubMed has a lot of really great studies. So um, this, let's see, came from a PubMed study. Um, basically saying, so what water pills are, if you're not familiar, is it's essentially a diuretic. 
So you're losing water weight because sometimes we hold on to water for specific reasons or imbalances and then it can appear that we're gaining weight even though maybe it's not necessarily weight but a diuretic will help your body just kind of like get rid of excess well quote-unquote excess water in your body and appear that you are losing weight um short term <clears throat> short term exactly <laughs> um it's yeah so anyways <laughs> um this says the the study says the use of diuretics was associated with adverse renal outcomes which renal um, basically meaning like your kidney function, um, adverse renal outcomes indicated by decline in EGFR, which is like a lab marker for kidneys and increasing the risk of RRT initiation. I'm not sure I should have looked up what RRT is. Don't know. I think it's something with renal, um, in our cohort, blah, blah, blah of patients. So they're saying that the, basically the diuretics were causing not great renal outcomes and a decline in your kidney function and a risk for other, you know, associated kidney issues. Therefore, it is cautiously suggested to carefully prescribe diuretics by keeping in view benefit versus harm for each patient. So they do things on more of a medical level, but even them saying that you need to be cautious of, you know, prescribing this to doctors is kind of a big step to me because doctors sometimes can prescribe without kind of thinking about the effects. Um, the other thing that this can be common for, so a lot of the patients that I work with are pre-diabetic and they're also older. Um, so maybe they've been on some type of diuretic um, blood glucose management medication, you know, prescription. And one of the things that we always look at and the doctors are very cautious about is if they do need to increase their medication, how is that going to impact their kidneys? Because the way that some of these medication works is that it's basically acting as a diuretic to pee out extra blood, extra um, glucose and sugars in the body. So that's kind of somehow how these medications work to manage your blood sugar. Anyways, um, but the kidneys take a huge impact. And I think that's something we don't really think about is your kidneys have to like filter out all the water. That's how you pee. <laughs> so if you're constantly taking a diuretic, what is the impact it's going to have on your kidney function? Like that is a big thing. So looking at um, like the creatinine and your lab work and stuff, that's always a marker that's on any type of like CBC panel. Um, if that's out of range, then it's like, well, why, why are my kidneys impacted? There's a thousand different reasons why it could be. However, I think that taking diuretics is something that is risky because it can impact your kidney health. The other thing that it can do is basically deplete all of your minerals because it's the same thing with over drinking water. I always recommend, and this is kind of general rule of thumb, um, that studies show you should not really drink over 100 ounces of water because if you do that, your body is you know, depleting all the nutrients and the electrolytes that it needs. Of course, this is taking into consideration your size, your body weight, how much you exercised, how much caffeine you drank. You know, you might end up needing a little bit more than 100 ounces, but that's kind of like a general rule of thumb. You want to ideally drink half of your body weight in ounces per water. So if you're taking a diuretic, you're, you know, getting rid of all of your liquids, you're most likely going to be deficient in very important minerals. So I wanted to just give some kind of like facts quickly about what minerals do in the body because I feel like we kind of are like, oh yeah, we need electrolytes and minerals, but like what are they actually doing? So minerals compose about 4% of your body. Also, humans do not produce min minerals, therefore we must obtain them through our food. 
Minerals are what remain as ash when plant or animal tissues are burned. Fun fact. They come from the earth and will eventually return to the earth. Out of the 103 known minerals, at least 18 are necessary for good health. And these are going to be, you know, obviously the more common ones, potassium, um, magnesium, all these different types of minerals. So roles of what the minerals do in the body. They play a lot of different um, roles, important. And some of them include they act as cofactors for enzyme reactions. They maintain the pH balance in the body. That's a huge one. Uh, facilitating the transfer of nutrients across cell membranes, maintaining proper nerve conduction, contracting and relaxing muscles, regulating tissue growth, providing structural and functional support. So you can see how if you are taking a diuretic constantly or too often and you're depleting your body of nutrients and minerals, how a lot of different health issues can come from that. So those are just kind of like the main reasons functionality-wise why I don't agree with any of these types of water pills or diets that people go on. But then, I mean, the whole other opposite spectrum of this is like, why why is your body holding on to water in the first place? Why do you feel like you need, need to lose the weight? I think it's very possible that some people might need to lose weight. That's fine. And if that's how they feel, that their body would be better without it, that's one thing. But there's just so many other more sustainable ways. And that's what it, I think comes down to. Like, this is not sustainable. You're not going to be able to do this and like eat the same thing and like do whatever you were doing before. It's not going to, you're not, weight is not going to stay the same. So getting to the root cause of why, you know, your body is in this state of imbalance and doing it a natural way is going to get you like millions more results in so many different ways. Yeah, I always like to give this analogy, and maybe I've said it here before, but if you had a pain in your foot, or say you have a rock in your shoe and it's hurting, would you take an ibuprofen to get rid of the pain, or would you simply remove the rock? You know, it's just our society is so intertwined with these quick fixes, and this is something that's de- it can be very detrimental. Like Ali just went over some of the reasons, but you know, water pills are diuretics and they can lead to the electrolyte disturbances and just other, yeah, negative effects on your health. Um, There's things that can cause like muscle cramps, confusion, dry mouth, drowsiness, fatigue, even heart palpitations. I just think we need to get far away from this idea of manipulating our bodies and taking things that we don't actually need. Water pills are not there to help you kind of tone up and look better for a hot night out. <laughs> They're there for people who have actual medical issues. So I don't even know why they are over the counter anyways. Um, I know a lot of people take them or I think maybe I even used to buy them like before your period or something because hormonally your body does hold on to a little bit more water, but that's not something that you need to manipulate to get out. Like it's a natural reaction. Um, and just anything short term, you're not really solving any bit of the issue. And is it worth it to have some of these unsafe side effects? I, I mean, that's kind of for you to decide, I guess. Um, I also used to take laxatives, which is kind of the same sort of thing, which is just, this was back in my dark, disordered times. And yeah, I would kind of take laxatives at night if I felt like I ate too much. And I, I truly believe the health issues I have today are from these artificial sweeteners and taking laxatives and dieting and all this stuff. So I've certainly been there. So there's no judgment. I just think I want to shake people that are doing this stuff kind of, and just 
get you to see like, is it worth it? So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, some of the reasons you may be accumulating more water weight. Um, so there's a lot of various health conditions and lifestyle factors and things like that that can contribute, but some of the main things are a high salt intake. So um, I kind of look at this as salt is not bad. I actually think high quality sea salt is almost like a supplement. It's so beneficial to your system. Um, it's important for electrolyte balance. It's important for water, like balancing the water within your body. However, I think if people are eating like processed food and fast food and just a lot of, yeah, packaged processed things, you're probably getting a lot more sodium versus if you just eat real food and you salt, you know, your savory food and stuff like that. So just kind of taking a one over and looking at your, and also too, if you're having a lot of um, table salt, that's actually made in a lab. That's very different than sea salt that contains trace minerals. So that can lead to water retention. Protein deficiency um, can actually lead to fluid accumulation accumulation. Um, and this is because protein plays a major role in maintaining fluid balance by keeping salt and water intake, sorry, by keeping salt and water inside the blood vessels and stopping it from leaking into the tissues. So looking at that physical inactivity. Um, so a lot of people have things like edema, which is where I believe water, um, fills up or there's retention like in your ankles and things like that. If you see that a lot, do you see that in your clinic? Edema? Yeah, yeah. Well, because okay. a lot I'm of the things, that too, <clears throat> it can happen when you're, um, you're pre-diabetic is yes. a thing because the water is so unbalanced and your glucose is so unbalanced. There's a lot of different things, and edema is definitely one of them. Yeah, so holding on extra water, swelling, yeah, it's especially in your feet and ankles. And um, so, yeah, if you're sitting all day, which is a lot of people, if you lead a sedentary lifestyle, sitting at a desk... And then hormonal changes. Um, so like I said, it's common the week before you have your period to hold on to extra a few extra pounds of liquid, um, but that's temporary and it will return to normal. And, um, you know, just maybe thinking too, like, do I have a normal cycle? Am I having hormonal symptoms and things like that? Again, looking for the root of the issue instead of just covering it up with a water pill. Um, heart failure, kidney disease, and even medications, so a lot of things like NSAIDs, which are non-sterile anti-inflammatory drugs, which are things like Tylenol, Motrin, all that stuff. Again, I used to take this stuff like crazy too, um, and the pill, and then some heart medication. So here are some ways to lose water weight safely, um, or, you know, again, like I don't know if the people taking the water pills need to lose water weight, or they're just doing it for an extra, you know, whatever. Cleanse. But, Yeah. <laughs> Um, but exercise and just in general too, like moving. So, you know, taking the stairs, parking farther away at the grocery store, just getting up if you are sitting at your desk all day and just moving your body around, like increasing physical activity. Like that's, that's enough. You don't necessarily have to hit the gym every single day for an hour. And um, everybody should do that regardless, like moving your lymphatic system because, totally. you know, you're more susceptible, for example, to like blood clots if you're on birth control. A lot of people are on birth control and have no idea about a clotting factor that could happen. So Oof. always moving your body is like super important. Yep. So then, yeah, looking at sodium. And again, I do not want anyone to be fearful of adding sea salt to their food. That's what makes our food taste good. And again, it has a lot of essential trace minerals. It's really, it's a beneficial thing. But looking at your packaged foods, um, things like, you know, even like salad dressings and um, 
breads and all that kind of stuff. Um, looking at eating enough protein, especially if you're vegan or vegetarian, um, making sure you're getting a good quality, um, good getting a quality of protein in throughout your day, increasing your potassium intake. So potassium is another mineral that's involved in fluid balance and it may help with just, yeah, circulation and, um, water retention. Um, so things like real food sources of potassium or leafy green vegetables, bananas, potatoes, avocados, tomatoes. So just, you know, getting in some of that stuff during your week and also magnesium rich foods. This is also an important mineral in balancing the fluids in your body and also increasing urine production, um, which is interesting actually. Um, and <laughs> yeah, because is... that would be like acting as the diuretic. Well, I'm just but... thinking about people taking magnesium, which just clicked for me because I have a client who, and she might be listening to this podcast, who um, is having, a, like she wakes up several times in the middle of the night to pee and... Blood sugar. Well, yes, but also if people are taking magnesium calm at night, I wonder if that makes... That's, I don't think that's the root of her issue, but we'll talk about it in a session, girl. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking out loud here. Anyways, um, magnesium's high in things like leafy greens, spinach, chard, avocados, almonds, and black beans, and then staying hydrated. Obviously, that's important, too. Um, well, so because also, some... like, if you notice, if you don't drink water all day, you will not have to pee, most likely. If you start drinking water, like, halfway through the day, and you're like, oh, I'm so behind, I'm going to drink all the water, then you literally have to pee, like, ten times more than you would because your body is just like, whoa, overload. So you're acting as almost like a diuretic anyway. So, like, a good way which sounds backward to lose water weight, quote unquote, if you're having that, is sometimes to drink more water. Because <laughs> if your totally. body doesn't have enough, it's holding on to it because it's like, dude, I don't know where that's going to come from again. I better like save this in little pockets and whatnot, <laughs> you know? So yeah. drinking more water can actually be super helpful for losing water weight. All right, let's see if we can cram out this last, uh, I'll let you talk. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. I have a lot Do of... Do you want me to read it? Um, sure. True or false? Can running increase abdominal fat? I just started running in the last year or so as part of my cardio routine about three miles a day. My legs have gotten more shapely, but oddly, I have noticed a small pouch in my abdomen. When I have gained weight in the past, I've always gained it in the thighs and butt. Why the sudden switch in location now? I had heard someone mention, I can't remember the source, that it can be due to running and holding on to stress. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, basically, <laughs> I feel like you've answered your own question here. Um, I think it's exactly pretty much without even we don't have to get super scientific about it. I think that's pretty much exactly what happens is when your body is overstressed and basically it doesn't know what it's running from. It could be running from like, you know, a crazy homeless person behind you. Like the act of running. I was going to say a bear, but I'm so sick of that analogy. <laughs> I was just thinking, because I had a really bad interaction with a homeless man in college, and it just triggered me. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Or a criminal, or a bank robber, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, there's a plenty of lovely homeless people. Maybe that was an insensitive, I don't know, sorry. <laughs> but, you know, a less um, savory person. Your body is, like, basically going into, like, stress mode, you know, and it's, it's running. It's, like, literally, like, it is activating cortisol. So my suggestion, I think... I am a runner myself, not currently. <laughs> I've taken a little time off of running um, while being pregnant. It's just 
doesn't sound good to me. People do it all the time. It's, you know, perfectly safe in some ways. Um, I just, it's not my jam right now. Um, but I used to run a lot of half marathons and do a lot of training. And I think when you run too often, your body doesn't have enough recovery time. So it's almost like you're elevating that cortisol and your body just needs more time to rest. So even though you're only doing three miles a day, I'd say that's probably an average of like maybe 30 minutes, you know, depending on how quickly you're running. But maybe like if you're, you know, doing more long distance, I mean about a 10 minute mile. So maybe you're even doing a little more than 30 minutes. But 30 minutes a day, in my opinion, is too much. I think that cardio should be left to about two days a week. Um, and then mixing in some other uh, strength training. So lifting weights is another great thing to add in um, and also doing some yoga. If you do decide you you know want to switch it up, spinning, I love spinning. I think it's super awesome and it's really great because it doesn't impact your joints um, as much, especially running you know for a long period of time over the years. I feel like your your body does, start to get impacted by that um, constant like pounding Um, so I would say two days a week cardio you know you can run up to 45 minutes but it really depends too on the person and kind of what your body's going through Um, if you're experiencing like amenorrhea lack of period and you're kind of trying to balance your hormones like even even 45 minutes might be too much for you I've kind of read a lot that it seems like people and research maybe goes towards like 20 minutes max for amenorrhea is kind of a magic number number for some people. I personally, I did run, um, even though I was, you know, experiencing amenorrhea and trying to work on my hormones, I still ran about two days a week and I could feel comfortable doing about 45 minutes, but I really didn't overdo it. And I think that's the key is to kind of not put your body in stress mode. Um, and then also with what you're eating, I feel like that does have an impact on the way that your body kind of like handles and stores fat and burns fat as well. Um, I personally, and this is kind of more like not <laughs> science based, but this is just coming from also a fellow runner, like what I have found to kind of work um, for me, but I don't like to eat before I run. Um, I love just getting up early and before I'm even like super hungry. Uh, just going on a run then because your your cortisol is a little bit elevated in the morning because that's like what gets you up anyways. So I kind of feel like for me, that's kind of like a better time where my body's actually like craving a run and I'm like, I have energy to do it. But I also don't eat before because you want to allow like 90 minutes at least of like digestion period um, before doing any type of like physical activity. So I can't get up early enough to then eat breakfast and then go on a run. Like it just doesn't work for me. So um, I run on an empty stomach. And I do think that there is part of that where like your body is going to burn what it's been given. So even if you're so if you're not eating anything before you run, your body is going to actually probably burn fat that's already there and stored. So from kind of like a more getting into like you know, muscle building standpoint, I feel like not eating before you run is, is a little bit beneficial in that sense. But if you're starving, don't run on a starving stomach, like you're going to need to eat something. And then I would eat like half a banana, something that I'm going to burn through pretty quickly. And then my body is going to just, you know, move on to burning other stuff. So, um, 
<clears throat> that's my advice on that. And then after you're done eating, I feel like that's pretty important to take into like what is your nutritional value there. So you do want to have something with um, a glucose factor. So like some type of maybe carb um, or carbohydrate to stop the insulin resistance because that can happen when you are exercising. So you want to make your body feel safe. Like, okay, stop shooting out insulin. <laughs> we need to like introduce a sugar here. So your body kind of goes back into like, you know, bringing your blood sugar to a comfortable place. Um, and then what else? I guess that's kind of maybe all I had in terms of all my little tips and tricks, but that's just the best way for me that I've found a combination of all those things that works well to how to kind of maintain a healthy running schedule without burning out and then without your body being like overly stressed, which is what is causing possibly to hold on to that fat in certain places. Yeah, I definitely think of cortisol when I think of abdominal fat, and I think that it also can come up as a form of protection, so definitely goes hand-in-hand with stress, and if you think about less obvious forms of stress, maybe emotional stressors, so that could be your mindset. Maybe you're feeling stressed out about the fact that you are gaining weight and what's going on, or you feel like, you know, issues with food or, yeah, just other stuff with work or relationships. And that's building up. And if you think about a lot of your essential organs being around your stomach area, um, it can, I feel like sometimes we can gain weight there and gain fat there as a form of protection. Yes, fat is not always a bad thing, you guys. Sometimes it can, it's coming there to protect you. Just kind of an interesting, different way of looking at things. And it's also probably coming up as a sign. Maybe it's telling you to look at the stressors in your life or it's telling you to slow down. So I certainly think that you shouldn't ignore this. Now is not the time to push through and run harder and work out harder or diet harder. It's probably to look at, okay, what kind of stress maybe maybe am I experiencing that I'm not giving enough attention to? And how can I incorporate maybe some more self-care? How could I work with someone or get some support or call friends more often that understand what I'm going through or yeah, incorporate some more restorative moment. I'm pretty sure you said that you are lifting weights a couple days a week. That's probably proven to be one of the best forms of exercise, especially for women and keeping our bones really strong. Um, and for fat loss and weight loss as well, like that's definitely the best way to do it. I think over cardio anyways, um, if you do like love to run, I think interval running can be a lot less stressful in your system and, even more effective. So doing like, um, uh, sprints in intervals, things like that, or high intensity, like hit, um, workouts and stuff like that. I certainly don't think you have to run again. If you love to run, like what Ali said, a few days a week, I think is okay. But again, once you get over that, like half an hour, 45 minute mark, you're putting your body into stress, like black and white. That is what's happening with long distance running. Um, and, um, The other thing I think of too is just looking back at like your constitution. So, you know, are you already dealing with a lot of stress and then you're exercising intensely on top of it? So again, that's why I said kind of doing a once over and looking back at maybe what do you need to pull back on? And I certainly think lifting weights a few days a week with walking is perfectly fine. Like that's, you're extremely active. You're doing a lot of different great things for your health. I don't think you have to feel like you have to run every single day. And again, we don't know if it's coming from you just like loving to run or you feel like you have to do cardio, but I'm pretty sure you said in your question that you're working out so intensely so that you can eat 
more so, like you were saying something i have to scroll we have so many notes <laughs> because she back. loves the um chocolate wine and veggies he said, though, after three kids and in my late 30s, I feel like I'm working out more and more to be able to eat and drink what I want, not always because I love doing it. So ding, ding, ding. That's yeah. a red flag to me. I think, yeah, you said you're lifting weights five to six days a week. That's plenty. And all you then need to do is, like, be active and walk. like, And maybe go take a yoga class or Pilates class or do, like, an at-home workout or something. I really don't think, if you don't love it, Beverly, like, there's no need for you to push yourself in that way. You're doing enough with the weightlifting and then just living a healthy, active lifestyle. Yeah. Because um, your look- body, like, knows, like, what it wants to do or what it doesn't want to do. Like, if you go to the gym and you're like, I literally am going to hate every minute of this. This is awful. And you do it anyways. Your body knows that it doesn't want to do that. Your mind is, you know, thinking something else. And stress can come from that as well. You know, I think you have to kind of, exactly. like, ask yourself, like, what do I what do I really like? I, I mean, I love running like for the fact of just running so like I would never be interested in doing HIIT training because I'm not doing it for like the exercise component I'm doing it more because I love just like running away from like life not that that sounds terrible but like (laughs) it's just like a break like it's my mental break where I feel like I'm just like flying you know and it's like that's what I love about it so that's why I do it but if you're not someone that really loves it like that then there's just such a there's such better ways that your brain is going to respond to, to where it's like, okay, now this is what I like. Yeah. And I think just, we hear all the time still, I mean, I definitely think it was more popular, a more popular opinion back when Allie and I were like in college and that like 10 years ago, (laughs) actually, if we were out of college 10 years ago, it's so sad. Don't Um, stop. Just stop. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I was a treadmill runner. I would just pound away on the treadmill. I actually did like doing more intervals and stuff like that. That was really fun to me. Um, And I did run one half marathon. Yeah, I, but I, I don't know. I mean, I hurt my back, so I have a different life now, lifestyle now, and I walk a lot. But again, what my point in saying this is that you don't have to do tons of cardio. Like that's not necessarily something you yeah maybe go for a hike every now and then and walk you know walk several days a week and or just in general park farther away take the stairs lift weights like that's fine you don't have to be someone that goes on a run three you don't have to run three miles a day to be a healthy person Mm -hmm. and I just think see this as like a blessing okay some my body is reacting it's it's asking me to listen to it it's asking me to look deeper what's going on so maybe there's some area of your life that you've been ignoring, focusing on, and there's some area that's stressing you out that you've put on the back burner. And so let this be a sign from your body to slow down and give yourself permission to stop running and just incorporating some more restorative stuff that you actually enjoy and just take a break. You said you have three kids. There we go. It's probably your source of stress. I would love to talk to you about like running joggers and strollers. Oh my god! Okay, well, email Allie at barefoot. No, barefoot. No, I'm gonna email her. (laughs) But what I'm Um, saying is, you are probably putting so much pressure on yourself. You said you're in your late 30s. Allie and I are about to be there. You're in your late 30s. You have three kids. You're probably pressuring yourself to like maintain some sort of. The thing is too, like, and I don't know that you're doing this, but I just feel like a lot of us compare our bodies to what we used to be in high school and in college. And we've changed. We've grown. Our hormones have changed. Like, you've had three kids. Like, you can't compare – if this is what you're doing, you can't compare yourself 
to what you used to be when you lived a different life. Like that wasn't your circumstances. Like you didn't have the stressors that you have now. So just treat yourself a little bit of grace and cut yourself a break. You're doing a lot already for being a busy mom. Um, so just, I think you'll actually start to see changes in your body and you'll feel better overall by cutting back instead of doing more. Um, and I just wanted to give one more little source of advice if something you can do is just to be a little bit more mindful around, um, meals. So slowing down, taking deep breaths, chewing really, really well, trying to eat in an undistracted atmosphere. All this stuff too will help you um, with your cortisol levels and blood sugar and just feeling a lot more balanced. And that may help to um, cut back on some of the cortisol reaction that you're having too. And I'm sure that's hard with with kids. So I think you need some self-care. So ask someone to watch your kids for a few hours and go. (laughs) I have a great client who also might be listening to this, shouting out all my clients who um, also is a mom of three, and she has twins. She oh has her hands full, and she's a working working and traveling mom. Of it's She does so much. She's respect. amazing. So much respect. And <laughs> she, one of her favorite things to do is go walk around home goods. I'm like, ask your husband to watch the kids for an hour and go walk around home goods and just, like, treat, like, go, Beverly, go, go treat yourself to something like that. Like whatever it is that Put you like. Put some wine in a canteen, go walk right. around Home Goods, and just go to That town. sounds lovely. In fact, I'll come with you. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. No, in all honesty, if you are someone that your body works better on doing less cardio and you see better results, don't try and do cardio and do the opposite. Many people everybody's body's different. I, I am actually, I'm not one of those people that if I do less, I get in better shape. Like I'm just not, but I've accepted that and I'm not going to do just as much and do more because my body's going to be in better shape. Like that didn't serve me well either on a different level, but like body image wise, like my, I just, I work, my body like functions well on super high intense workouts and I will lose weight. If I don't do that kind of stuff, I don't really as much. But that's okay because when I did do that, things were not working. Exactly. But if you're someone that is the opposite and you can do less and see results, like literally do that because there are a lot of us out there who cannot. <laughs> but the thing so, is, she's work, she's lifting weights five to six days a week. Well, she's yeah. going to so see like you results are, from that. Like, right. You are doing a lot just in its own. But I'm just saying from running as being a specific example. Well, it depends. Like, are you someone who has legitimate weight to lose, like, for health reasons? Like, people need to take this into consideration. They were talking about this on Well-Fed Women podcast, where it's like, I think, Noelle, she said something like, we're actually meant to have weight to lose. We're meant to have a little bit of extra weight for fertility and hormones and optimal health. Like, having a little bit of, quote-unquote, extra weight doesn't mean you are this unhealthy, lazy, horrible person. We just, that's not one in the same. So you have to take a hard look at the fact of like, what are you trying to achieve? Are you just trying to feel good? Sure. Go out for a run, go out for a walk, whatever. Or are you like desperately trying to fit into some box and be some sort of lean physique that your body is not wanting to fit into? I mean, to have a perfect body, you have to, (laughs) I just, it's, extremes. It's not a healthy way to live. You're probably going to be miserable because you're barely eating. You're going to be killing yourself at the gym. You're doing detriment to your hormones, to your mindset, to your sleep, to your digestion. It's just like at what cost is it to have this 
quote-unquote perfect body that doesn't even exist anyways. True. <laughs> Namaste. Okay. We're way over We on went this way over. Sorry, Gotta guys. Gotta go. Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. Beverly, keep in touch with us. Allie's going to email you about strollers. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, these were actually really great questions. We hadn't talked about any of this stuff before. So I hope you guys liked it. If you would like to submit a question, you can email us at nutritionishpodcast at gmail.com or head on over to the website and click under the submit a question tab. We made it super easy for you. Head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. We're almost at 60, which is very exciting. Woohoo. Um, we love it, you. Yeah. It, <laughs> it really, really, like I actually look at them quite a bit because it makes me happy and I like words of affirmation. So if you want to make us happy, please leave us a review and then make sure to subscribe so you get a new episode every single week. For more from me, Chelsea, who's, you know, woozy and you know, near vomit. <laughs> Head on over to nutritionwithchelsea.com and follow me at nutritionwithchelsea on Instagram. And for more from Allie, who's, you know, interested in joggers and strollers and has to deal with mold and her pug and everything, head on over to barefootnutrition.com and follow her at barefootnutrition. And we will see you guys next week. Bye.